Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Hello once again. Welcome back to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are pleased, as always, to be part of this vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right, this is episode 216. I'm calling this Finding Value in Instrumentals. I wanted to put a positive twist on that because uh, I've been known to rail against instrumentals. I'm still not a big instrumental fan, but I found a lot of good stuff to talk about here and uh, and good points to make and splitting it up into categories and all that kind of fun stuff that we usually do. I want to thank William Walker and Mick Phelan for some ideas here and some examples that I never would have thought of, which, uh, which we'll rattle off as we go along. Uh, but the idea here is that uh, instrumentals, uh, an interesting thing. You all, you know, going back to my youth and, and you know, me and my buddies and, and our, uh, our, our song rating system of uh, lousy, average, and really goods, and so-sos, and lousies, and then mathematically you could come up with, uh, you know, exactly what the rating of an album is, and everybody more or less agreed. It's a long, long story. Maybe I should do an entire episode on that at some point. Uh, it's pretty crazy, because I can remember probably dozens and dozens, if not a couple of hundred, of, of actual exact seven out of nines three out of fives three out of tens uh, all that sort of stuff right um but the reason i bring this up is because uh instrumentals were always basically uh called so-sos uh instrumentals could never rise to uh the level of a good so we had uh we had basically three categories lousy so-sos and good so-sos canceled out uh so you could take a nine track album and it could come out to four out of seven um but basically, uh, uh, instrumentals could never rise above a so-so because we always considered them um, lesser songs, unfinished songs. Obviously, they are finished, uh, but they always just seemed like that sort of thing where uh, you never felt that, uh, boy, yeah, my, my, my computer keeps... Uh, Keeps uh, freezing up here and you're wondering if it's recording kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're fine. Um, but yeah, so the idea is uh, is finding value in instrumentals, finding different kinds of instrumentals. I like, you know, what makes a good idea of putting an instrumental on an album sort of thing. Um, you know, uh, conceptually, there there's something that uh, breaks up the album, uh, you know, provides contrast, maybe even elevates in importance the album. It's like saying, well, we're giving you an extra kind of animal on here. It also makes you focus over to the, uh, you know, away from the vocals and onto the, onto the instruments, like they're making a statement here that we are musicians. You know, I remember, I brought this up before, but I remember having a, a discussion with Richie Blackmore once and, uh, and he he kind of uh, joked, he goes, ah, fancy that, instrumental music, like we were talking about debating the value of instrumental music, and um, 
and he says music instrumental music instruments you know it, it's like it's like he was making the point that uh you know well what's wrong with instrumental music what's wrong with not having a vocalist on there obviously he's had his issues with vocalists uh but if you think back to uh you know almost all classical and almost all jazz uh is instrumental music so uh you know the, the idea of having instrumentals uh you know should be should be more, more normal than it is but in our world in our classic rock world obviously uh the instrumental is sort of an, an occasionally thing um McFeelan writes, uh, I, I think I like instrumentals. They add a different flavor to an album, a new shade, nuance. They aren't just filler. They are powerful, often valuable interludes. I really have fallen for Tejas. Yeah, this one I actually removed from here because I wanted to replace it with something I felt more passionate about. But I, I always think of uh, ZZ Top Asleep in the Desert as a really cool, mellow instrumental that I really like. But anyways, Mick writes, um, I really have fallen for Tejas uh, after hearing your passion for it. The album has raunch and swagger, but the instrumental gives beautiful serenity. Sometimes unaccompanied instruments can do it. Uh, it's a side to ZZ Top. The average listener never knew they had. Uh, does it add something serious? It certainly impressed me. I love it. He says instrumentals add a kooky getaway. I love Los Endos and the Brazilian by Genesis for the novel quality. Sacred Reich have, uh, if only, a beautiful turn that surprised me. Crystal Land, 1985. Or Breathing Spaces, they provide a breather. And when, uh, and when the thrash intensity arises is even heavier yeah it's, it's a good point um yeah so the idea that um you know like led zeppelin always talked about light and shade light and shade well instrumentals an even more shady a version of shade especially if there's no singing on it and especially if it's just maybe some acoustic guitar or whatever um that's going to be a category as we go on william walker says i love instrumental rock jazz and metal but one of the major problems with it centers around a lack of that dark and light contrast provided by a vocalist and his lyrics just has been noted a band in one of their heavier songs will be and appear heavier in the wake of a mellow ballad that's what we just said so is um, a mellotron solo or guitar solo more exciting in the wake of vocals vocals are in one sense the most separate aspect of a band yeah so he goes on you know and and i believe this too you know how much i care about lyrics and lyrics are super important and what i just said about uh, uh um an instrumental not uh, uh rising above the the um the level of so-so but uh, let's move into our first selection here and we shall discuss further like i say i've got some categories take a listen to this this is def leopard with switch 625 <laughs> All right, so the theme here is uh, these types of instrumentals that I surprised myself in, you know, like I say, we're calling this... uh finding value in instrumentals, and I've always found value in this great high and dry instrumental. Um, I really like the way that it does add sort of an extra layer of uh, regalness, royalty uh, to this album. Uh, it just it just makes the band sort of sound more important. And what I like about uh, this particular type of instrumental is it sounds like a song that was made just slightly too good, too elevated, too much going on, uh, that the vocals would be over the top. So this idea of, uh, of a really good riff, um, they've got lead guitars going in there that could stand for a vocal melody, although it doesn't quite feel like a verse in here. It feels more like an, like an outro break section, like a really kind of new piece of music that comes in on, on a cool epic sort of song. Um, but, but I love that idea that essentially it's most of the way there. It's, um, 
it's rocking, it's got a beat, it's got a riff, it's got a lead guitar essentially standing in for Joe Elliott here, um, and and you've you've basically got almost a full song. Um, another one that's very similar to that is Riot Narita, and um, it's kind of interesting that Riot Narita is 1979 and it's a good action-packed song instrumental like the switch 20 uh 625 uh and then and then rush has one of the most fa- famous instrumentals of all time yyz uh which is also the name of an airport which is kind of neat right um so i wonder if rush got the idea for yyz from riot narita um it's, it's kind of possible right um and then switch 625 sounds like you're switching gates at the airport right um anyways um yyz doesn't fit in this category of, other than the airport thing but i wanted to mention that one there and um and another interesting thing i almost made this a whole category but another interesting thing about six uh switch 625 is late in the sequence um you do get the ah ah section, right? So is it strictly an instrumental? Uh, but there's no words, so you could say that the voice is being used as an instrument, and it is it is kind of an instrument, right? Um, so uh, so that's kind of cool. You've got a little bit of that. I'm going to me- be mentioning a few of those as we go along. Um, well, actually, the police regatta de Blanc is kind of like that. Um, I believe that's the one, right, with the AOs, AOs. Um, and, um, you know, other ones that feel in this category of just almost songs anyways uh, is like Pat Travers' band Hammerhead, which is one of the early examples of double bass. We had that in our double bass uh, episode. Scorpions Coast to Coast um, was, is a good hooky one where you can imagine, uh, you know, with a vocal on that, with a, with a bit of a rearrangement, that could have been a hit because it, it is a really catchy sort of melody that they've got on that on Love Drive. Um, you know, Aerosmith the movie, um, you know, Metallica's got a, a couple of amazing ones here. I believe it's McFeelin who loves Orion. Um, but basically, Orion and the Call of Cthulhu are, are big, epic, excellent instrumentals. And they actually fall between our first category and our, se- our not our second category, our third category, which is more like the prog epic thing, like uh, like really sort of stepping out. Um, but, you know, Metallica's not really doing that here. Metallica are masters of songwriting, so these are just great, great. Um, they're, they're almost like you could hear themselves in their head challenging themselves to say we hate instrumentals too let's let's make one that's actually really good um, and they write essentially really good songs for these instrumentals Iron Maiden Lost for Words ah, I don't know if that's so good Deep Purple I don't think does uh, particularly good instrumentals we got Ring That Neck we got that B-side uh, Corianeros Redig um, Michael Schenker Group Ulcer on Assault Attack into the arena uh, on the first one, so they're they're kind of uh, this way as well that they could write you know a good uh, a good uh, knees up as they say in England uh, sort of uh, instrumental that's kind of a song. Uh, William Walker also mentions Greg Howe. Uh, Garden of Harmony, Marty Friedman, Dragon Mistress, uh, Steve Vai, The Animal, Tony McAlpine, Peruvian Lower Layback, Vandenberg Kamikaze, Engve Malmsteen, Black Star, Far Beyond the Sun, Eclipse, Amber Dawn, Greatest Instrumental of All Time. Uh, oh, uh, he says this is the greatest instrumental of all time. Ronnie Montrose Mach 1. Um, noting whether mellow instrumentals are powerful, heavy, okay, it goes on here. Um, yeah, so there you go. That's our first category. Uh, almost songs, good, entertaining instrumentals. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. 
I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell ya, I have small ear canals, uh, I know a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, <laughs> oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, back again here on History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, episode 216, Finding Value in Instrumentals. Good positive title there, right? Take a listen to this and we shall discuss. This is Eno with Somber Reptiles. Right, so this is the one I kicked out ZZ Top asleep in the desert for, which, by the way, I learned on acoustic guitar. I love that song so much. Um, just a little more about Asleep in the Desert. So that's on Tejas, 1976, November, I believe. Um, but it's uh, it's beautiful acoustic guitar. It's got um, it's got if he's playing brushes, it's it's a very a pronounced and consistent brush whack. I don't know if that's an actual brush, but then you hear in some of the um, some of the soft snary sort of fills, it sounds a little bit like um, like brushes there. And it's also got a really interesting bass drum click that sounds a little bit like a metronome, um, but it also sounds like a bass drum click. And uh, Billy Gibbons not only is he playing this beautiful Spanish guitar acoustic, but there's slide in there as well. So that's a really cool one. But I kicked it out. For Eno Somber Reptiles. I love this album to death. Check this album out. Eno, Another Green World. All of Eno's albums that are the ones with vocals on them are some of my favorite albums of all time. You got uh, Taken Tiger Mountain by Strategy. Is that what it's called? Uh, and Before and After Science and Another Green World. Um, love those records so much, those early Enos. But this is uh, off of Another Green World, which also has really cool haunting mellow instrumentals in the title track uh in dark trees even scarier uh, little fishes be calmed really good stuff and uh, i almost got an extra theme here i mean this theme was was essentially um just really good kind of mellow cool spacey dreamy ones um but um this whole this whole uh sort of category or subcategory where you've got eno uh, Peter Gabriel with something like Start, which has the sax solo in it, which is kind of an interesting thing you hear uh, in in this in this sort of family, the family that includes Robert Fripp and David Bowie. So David Bowie has has sax solo as well in Subterranean. Uh, Low, you know that that um, all those beautiful beautiful instrumentals on Low Warsaw Art Decade, Weeping Wall, uh, Speed of Life. Um, so the David Bowie instrumentals uh, are are adjacent to the Eno uh, instrumentals for obvious reason, and they are adjacent to the Robert Fripp solos for obvious reasons. So so Robert Fripp shows up. Uh, did I say solos? Uh, instrumentals, I meant right. Um, so you know the the cool thing about Robert Fripp is is he has that beautiful beautiful sort of snaky guitar frippertronic sort of sound uh that he he actually uh he is he is applied to to Eno and uh and David Bowie and Peter Gabriel instrumentals or if not full instrumentals always instrumental passages um and you also hear that even on Robert Fripp solo albums um you know there's a lot of Robert Fripp solo stuff but uh but even on the the absolute classic exposure um and then there's also a lot of amazing uh king crimson instrumental stuff which actually is not really in this family it's a little bit different but lark's tongue and aspic and that sort of things you know and a lot of instrumental stuff 
on uh, on three of a perfect pair, of course, as well. Um, so yeah, this is almost a sub theme in itself, but I love this this gorgeous mellow uh, kind kind of uh, stuff as well. And um, another one that I've always loved is Jerry Garcia Band uh, Down Home from Cats Under the Stars, which uh, has that cheat in it, the cheat of the vocals. This one has actually a lot of vocals, but it just it's vocals as instrument. It's not lyrics. Uh, another classic in that department is uh, Claire Torrey on Great uh, Gig in the Sky on Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. You know I have a Dark Side of the Moon book that I can supply. Uh, brand new uh, that I have come out, uh, came out in slipcase and all that, big coffee table book, martinpopoff.com. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably the most famous one like this. And another amazing, goofy one that I just love to death is Touching Tongues on Vi's Sex and Religion. That is such a beautiful instrumental period because of what Steve Vi does on on it it's 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 kind of a mellow balladic type instrumental but late in the sequence um devin townsend comes in so devin's on this album which is kind of cool um but he comes in and uh and he does a uh a wordless vocal which is more than vo- a voice as an instrument it's almost like voice as an instrument uh, the challenge is not to have any words and he does something that sounds like words which is kind of cool uh, the other one um Another one that fits absolutely every time I think of Asleep in the Desert, I think of Thin Lizzy Banshee, which I love to death as well on the Nightlife album. Um, yeah, Nightlife, I think so. Um, but uh, yeah, really cool sort of, and it sounds like Asleep in the Desert. It sounds like a like like a Tex-Mex desert sort of a song, which is kind of cool. Uh, William Walker and the Mellow Ones uh, mentions, um, let's see, Alan Holdsworth, Tokyo Dreams, Electric Sun, Winter Days, Eric Johnson, Trademark in Manhattan, Gary Moore, Dunlucci, um, Dunlucci. Loose. Um, George Lynch, I will remember Jeff Beck because we've ended as lovers and where were you? Paul Koss of Time Away, Santana Europa, Joe Satriani Love Thing, Until We Say Goodbye, You Saved My Life, Bamboo, uh, and Revelation, Michelangelo Batillo, um, Peace and Two Times Again, Rainbow Snowman. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting one, William. Yeah, you know, that's one I always quite liked and i like the placement he's also got difficult to cure he's got a few instrumentals here and there i don't, I don't i'm not really a big fan but snowman even won some uh won some awards i believe in in the uk uh steve Vai, tender surrender whispering of uh prayer and lotus feet are all great mellow mellowish instrumentals some of them are more power ballad than completely mellow but oh well um okay let's move on to our next selection here uh this is rush with leave that thing alone Okay, so the theme here is the instrumentals that are the big prog monsters, um, but I wanted to make it a little bit of a twist. I didn't want to play La Vila Strangiat or, or YYZ, um, but Rush has eight instrumentals in total, and uh, I like this one quite a lot. This is, uh, this is from uh, Counterparts, October 19th, 93. This went gold. Um, I think is a better version than Where's My Thing? Question mark from Roll the Bones, but it's kind of a follow-up to that. You can tell by the title, and it also has the same sort of... Uh, um, you know, funkiness to it. Um, but what I like about this is, uh, it is a really catchy instrumental. Um, you, 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 uh, you get sort of well, you know, 
swept up by the infectiousness of of the funkiness of it, the bass line, the drums, uh, the the hooks, the, the you know the the melody to it. Um, so I I really wanted to award reward uh, p- putting Rush in here with something a little bit less than obvious, um, but I think that's a really good one. I saw a ranking uh, by someone named Drew on the. Um, on the internet uh, that he ranked, uh, so in reverse order of the eight instrumentals, he put Limbo from Test for Echo last, Hope, Snakes and Arrows, Malignant nar- uh, Narcissism, Snakes and Arrows, Leave That Thing Alone, Counterparts, the one I just played, Where's My Thing, Roll the Bones, uh, YYZ, Moving Pictures, and La Vila Strangiato Hemispheres as three and two, and then he made the bold move, the main monkey business from Snakes and Arrows as the as the number one, which is a really good one. It's got heaviness, got a lot of variety to it. They throw a lot of stuff in there it's a little bit like a throwback to the to the earlier ones but uh and it's kind of interesting snakes and arrows is the only album with multiple instrumentals on it from rush and it's got three um which is pretty crazy um but yeah, King Crimson's got Red, which I feel is in this category. And I think you could even put Frank Zappa in this category with Peaches on Regalia. Uh, I really liked a, I, another cool thing about that one that reminds me of Leave That Thing Alone in a way uh, in that it is effortlessly enjoyable and you can remember that melody that goes along with it, even though it's, you know, highfalutin Frank Zappa jazz music, you know, with with all that stuff. But um, but here he goes and makes a, a completely enjoyable, uh, effortlessly enjoyable, Enjoyable by the layman uh, sort of instrumental. Um, you know, you want to throw Focus Hocus Pocus in here, you can as well, which is another cheat one as well because it has voice as an instrument with all that crazy uh, yodeling. Uh, the Who, Quadrophenia, the Who are, are kind of known for uh, these, these um, you know, because they, they're writing these rock operas, these suites, these concept albums. That's another place where you get a lot of instrumentals. And they're really annoying, honestly, uh, when you get them on uh, these, these prog and concept albums because, you know, they obviously, they, they often got like a parenthesis going and an intro and then the main thing um and I, I don't feel uh, I, I don't feel that the instrumentals on these concept albums are particularly well placed. I'm, I'm not I'm not happy that they're there sort of thing. I, I, I like the other kind of instrumental as well. Commit to it, make a whole song, you know more or less. Uh, I, I think is kind of a cooler way to go. Um, okay, let's move on to our fourth selection here. Take a listen to this. This is Led Zeppelin with Moby Dick. Okay, so the theme here is spotlighting a member of the band. There are a lot of these out there in the world, of course. Uh, most of the time, uh, it is spotlighting the guitarist uh, because the guitarist is usually the chief songwriter. He's often the leader of the band. Um, yeah, usually the chief music writer. Uh, so there, there are a lot of, um, of guitar showcases. Um, you know, witness the most famous instrumental of all time, uh, probably as a, you know, uh, in at least the guitar solo department, Van Halen Eruption, but you've got Cathedrals, you've got 1984. Cathedrals is uh, focusing Eddie or, or showcasing Eddie as a guitar effects guy. Uh, 1984 is showcasing Eddie as a sort of synthesizer guy, or is that David Lee Roth? I, I can't remember the story. Maybe maybe David Lee Roth does that one. Um, but, uh, but Van Halen has a 
lot of these, uh, Balichitherium or whatever it's called, you know, that's fo- that's uh, showcasing, you know, goofy drums. Um, so Van Halen has a lot of these. Spanish Fly as a little intro, but that's our next category. Uh, Deep Purple on Burn, you have A200, which was uh, almost like a a uh, uh, give John Lord uh, a song to showcase what he what he can do and so he's he's like uh, you know over this sort of Ian Pace bolero beat you've got this um, uh, you know showcasing the the latest sort of tech uh, technology synthesizer wise uh, on there um, but yeah Led Zeppelin Moby Dick that we just played uh, is uh, is essentially a tribute to to um, John Bonham um, or or a song you know for John Bonham. So you've got you've got essentially a mountain like boring. I I think it's kind of a dull crappy riff. I I never liked Moby Dick, um, but you've got this uh, this sort of uh, instrumental song going, and then everything falls away, and John Bonham does this big massive long uh, drum solo, and then uh, at the very end the band comes back in just the sort of standard way. I I never thought this was all that great a song. And then later on on Cody you get uh, Bonzo's Montro right. Um, which is essentially a drum solo with uh, with some overdubs, I believe, on it, right? Um, to to you know, he's 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 putting together a little bit of a composition there, I suppose. Um, but yeah, in this, uh, so you've got Metallica with Anesthesia pulling teeth, which is sort of a Cliff Burton uh, showcase. Uh, let's see, William Walker says a uh, typically a live album track. Yeah, so he makes a point that. Um, quite often you'll get these uh, these named instrumentals, uh, which are just well. Well, actually, you get them often not named, and the song just goes on forever, which is is a, a known deep deep purple trope. But sometimes you will get a named instrumental uh, on a live album, and then everybody gets all excited. Ooh, an extra song, or but usually they telegraph that it's something like that, and and usually you think it's going to be anyways. Uh, but yeah, he mentions that you know in the in the eruption camp, you've also got the famous. George Lynch, Mr. Scary Dawkin uh, thing. Uh, I'm addicted from LA Guns, cocked and loaded. Trying intentionally to showcase a certain member usually means that the band was bored uh, was bored for me, and somebody felt they weren't getting enough solo time in all the other tracks. Yeah, good point. These types of songs, live or studio, tend to be just a few uh, cool guitar solos bridged together by a riff, or quite simply just one uh, cool long guitar solo. Same goes for keyboards and bass. That's all there most of the time, though. Solos with a lot of technique. The Corvazia Concerto from one night at Budokam uh, and MSG is actually so Michael Schenker groups uh, actually uh, the only good free form guitar solo I know uh, no repeated parts that's great melody and therefore a great song one of the few instrumental solos I know of that is also a great song yeah a bunch of stuff William was saying is he he's he's more or less in the same camp as me that he's uh, gen- generally you know arms crossed uh, you know prove to me that a solo has value so so that's why I wanted to call this finding value in inst- instrumentals because most of the time I don't find value in instrumentals um, okay let's move on to our fifth category fifth selection fifth and last ca- uh, uh, theme here this is black sabbath with don't start too late Uh, the theme here is short intros, and um, 
I, uh, I, I was listening to a bunch of these and thinking, I really like a lot of these. Um, I really like what Tony Iommi does with these and Black Sabbath does with these because I just love to death Don't Start Too Late. Of course, this is my favorite. You know, I've often called this my favorite album of all time. It's usually up there with a couple of cheats and some uh, in some double albums in London Calling and uh, and Physical Graffiti. But I love Sabotage to Death and I just love Don't Start Too Late. It's so spooky and moody and ethereal and uh, and uh, edgy and uh, and just, you know, trust Tony to come up with a really cool way to do to do Spanish guitar more interesting than even Van Halen on uh, Spanish Fly, right? And then, of course, the way, you know, that absolutely monster heavy metal riff of Symptom of the Universe crunches in after this short, short song. I think it's only 45 seconds, I believe. Uh, maybe it was this one, 45? Anyways, yeah, because I was worried about, about picking, a, picking a clip that wasn't kind of the whole song. But yeah, love it. Um, don't like the title. Don't start a parenthesis too late. That really, um, that really annoys me. Uh, but yeah, there's a little, little story behind it. But I thought that was cool, and and that made me think of um, uh, the great intros on Master of Reality. I love Orchid and I love Embryo. Both of those are so cool. Um, you know, one's kind of like spooky classical music, and the other one is more like more like druggy heroin gauzy acoustic music right i mean a little bit like don't start too late they've got fx you know everybody kind of puts down fx and i don't think it's that great either just the the, the banging away thing sound with the echo um and what do you guys think of breakout i like breakout uh on never say die i just think never say die is just a hoot uh <laughs> i really like that uh that breakout i i think is really cool jazzy kraut rock it's their kraut rock moment on there drums are huge on that song um so i i think that's really cool um you know van halen also has which i really like um little guitars parentheses intro um Iron Maiden has the Ides of March, which, of course, we know the whole story about that, kind of a lift from the Samson slash Thunderstick situation. And a very, very similar to that is Judas Priest in the Hellion. Um, so, yeah, those are, those are your intros. And, uh, oh, yeah, wanted to mention another um, amazing Black Sabbath instrumental that I've always loved, that they get a lot of abuse for it, uh, right on the same album as Don't Start Too Late, Supers are. Um, love that thing. And, again, that's a cheat as well with the ah-ah's voice as an instrument sort of thing. Um, yeah, William Walker says, easy category to fill. I think there are so many albums that have those useless one-minute or less instrumentals that are asinine acoustic finger-parenting exercises, guitar sound effects. So you could tell he's uh, he's basically doesn't have a lot of patience with these. Um, Agent Steely mentions only John Roth, Electric Sun, Buckethead intro on Enter the Chicken, MAB intro, uh, this CD is de dedicated to you. Oh, boy, speaking of that... Um, those hilarious, hilariously um, noise your CD is glitching, um, you know, annoying things on typo negative CDs are, are hilarious instrumentals, right? Um, mentioned a bunch of, the, uh, let's see, Kiss Love Theme, Testament Beginning of the End, Triumph, Fantasy Serenade, Ryan, uh, Raven, 3940, Candle Mass, Dawn. Um, if you're going to give me a one, two minute instrumental at all, give me without warning or from the moon or give me nothing at all. Um, so there you go. Um, something else I wanted to just mention. Um, obviously, we're in a certain world here, uh, but I, I found, okay, so at, at digitaldreamdoor.com, greatest instrumental artists. Um, so this shows you that, um, what I'm going to say here shows you that there's a whole nother world, of course, that we didn't talk about here. There are actual instrumental artists and, and many of those in the rock field 
world, and many of those have created some of the most famous instrumental instrumentals of all time. You can think of them when I give you the names of these bands. They're going to come to mind. Booker T and the MGs, The Ventures, Dwayne Eddy, Excuse me, King Curtis, The Meters, Link Ray, Dick Dale, Jeff Beck. So yeah, in the 60s, you had that whole instrumental guitar field, right? And these things would be like uh, soundtrack themes and TV themes. You'd get a lot of that, the, the movie the movie instrumentals, um, and those things would turn out to be hits. They'd, they'd get to be hits. Jeff Beck, of course, Bill Doggett, uh, Big J McNeely, The Shadows, Joe Satriani, Engve Melmstein, uh, Willie Mitchell, Eric Johnson, Davey Allen and the Arrows, Bill Black's combo, Ramsey Lewis trio, the Marquis, Steve Vai. So, wow, tons and tons and tons of stuff here, right? A um, couple other honorable mentions. Mick Phelan mentions in the thrash field, uh, Crystal Ann, Annihilator, Absolution, Megadeth, the Ultraviolence, Death Angel. Uh, in sludgy alternative metal, he mentions uh, Bullhead, Psalm, Baroness, uh, Elephant Man, Mastodon, Don Gojira, so, uh, Songs of Thunder, High on Fire, Demon Cleaner, Kaius. In the proggy world, he also mentions uh, Porcupine Tree, Wedding Nails, uh, The Dance of Eternity, Dream Theater, Death Metal, Redneck Stomp, Obituary, 1985, Carcass, The Gestures, Dance in Flames, Voice of the Soul, Death, uh, The Beginning of the End, Deicide. So, yeah, there's uh, there's tons and tons and tons of instrument uh, instrumentals we could talk about here. But my bottom line here is I wanted to make the point is that I did find value in some of those intros. Um, and Tony Iommi's the the king of that, as far as I'm concerned. Van Halen does a pretty darn good job sometimes as well. And I do find a lot of value in those really mellow, moody, quiet instrumentals. I love Down Home, that Jerry Garcia band one, and all of these Eno ones. Check out that Eno album. That's your homework for today. Check out that Eno album, Another Green World. Absolute masterpiece, 1975. Um, But yeah, leading into that, I love that whole field of the Peter Gabriel, Robert Fripp, David Bowie instrumentals. And then if you want to go right to the edge, go to early King Crimson. There's lots and lots of instrumental music uh, that you can listen to there. Um... And I also wanted to make the point, bottom line, uh, there are some great songs that are just highly entertaining that manage to do it without vocals like your like your Switch uh, 625 kind of thing. If you like the show, want to support future episodes, please go to Kofi, rhymes with nofee.com, slash Martin Popoff, hit that, red support bu- uh, hit that red support button and buy me a coffee or a pint. This week, I would like to thank Lee Clifford, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, and Steve Polari for my books. You can go to martinpopoff.com. Um, and uh, there is some other stuff coming down the down the pipes. Uh, I'm working on some other books as well. We've got a great, great Blue Oyster Cult panel book coming shortly, um, which is uh, much longer and I think better than the Cure one that came out, which is the first one. But we've got some other ones coming as well. Um, and uh, and yeah, so we've got. Uh, I still have my Damned book. I still have my big swanky ACDC David Bowie and uh, Pink Floyd that uh, came out not too long ago. Um, So there you go. Uh, Finding value in instrumentals. Uh, Like I say, your homework for today. Uh, Go play. Check it out. See what you think of it. Let me know on the Facebook page if you liked it. Um, But uh, check out that uh, Eno album, Another Green World. Bye for now. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.com pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. 
We are on Instagram at R&R Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.